0: Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoy this week's homily. One of my favorite movies of all time is a Terrence Malick film called To the Wonder. To this day, I have seen this movie over a dozen times, and to this day I still cannot tell you what it's about. It is a strange movie and yet a beautiful movie of different vignettes of time that are all jumbled and mixed up, to where time has no sense of purpose for this film. It begins and it ends and there's all this stuff in the middle and you don't know if it really began where it began and if it really ended where it ended. You're just caught in this jumble of mess of these two people in their lives and their relationship and how it revolves around one another. But there's this one moment in the movie that's kind of towards the end and it's, it's not just a moment, but it's like a vignette of scenes that continue to pile on top of each other, while this prayer of St. Patrick is underneath it. Now, if you've seen a Terence Malick film, they're beautiful works of art. A tree of Life might be the one that most people recognize, the movie with Brad Pitt. Like, it's this beautiful film of just images of nature and creation and of life and of loss and of aging and of death and of children and of all of this jumbled together once again. And that's what To the Wonder is. But there's this one scene where the priest is kind of walking through and going about his day and his life and it's intermixed with this scene of Ben Affleck and his wife doing these like fights and not fights and coming together and drawing apart and pulling left and right and The priest, as he's walking, is just praying Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ to my left, Christ to my right, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ be my everything. And it's over and over that this prayer just continues to go. And I find myself in that moment caught up in the wonder of what is taking place. And I kid you not, every single time, every single time. Again, I don't know what this movie is about, but every single time I find myself a weeping mess. The the tears just begin to pour and like I weep like like bellows of weeping as this th- this emotion is just called forth from within because I'm caught off guard by the wonder the first time I ever watched this movie, I knew Tracy would have no desire to see this movie. And the first time I watched it, she walked in at the very end, and I am this weeping mess. And I'm like, you gotta see this. It was not a pretty cry. It was ah! it's just like pouring down. And she was like, "Are you okay? This movie is beautiful. And I just don't know." And she goes, "What's it about?" I don't know. Over and over again. (laughs) I've seen this movie no less than a dozen times, and every single time I have the exact same response. And I think there's something about the movie that I get caught up in the wonder of it all. It is really just, it it, it makes my head spin, the poetic nature of it, the artistic nature of it, the story that, like, literally there's very little dialogue in the entire movie, which is why you have no idea what's going on. All of that meshed together, pushed together into this space, causes my mind to wonder what is actually going on. I'm caught in a state of confusion and wonder. Abraham Joshua Heschel had this to say in his book, and we read this last week, but it's so important. We dwell on the edge of mystery and ignore it, wasting our souls, risking our stake in God. Our mind has ceased to be sensitive to the wonder. That's so what I love about that movie, about that film, is it's an opportunity for me to, to allow my mind to step into that sensitiveness, to allow these things to kind of come about, to allow them to flow in and through what is taking place in and around me. I think a lot of people are oftentimes caught off guard with wonder. And I, there, there's one moment in particular that I know you all remember and what's surprising is this moment actually happened 10 years ago, a decade ago. This moment happened and it captured the world by storm as people were completely floored by what was happening, by this man's response to wonder. Take 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 a look at this. you remember this? This man is captured by the wonder of a double rainbow. And of even a triple rainbow. We don't have to watch any more of that. It's like three and a half minutes long. He captured three and a half minutes of this. And his awe and his wonder of it captured everyone's attention because like, this was all over the place. It wasn't just all over social media, but the news outlets, picked it up and began to run with it. Ben and Jerry's named an ice cream after it. I mean, it was all over the place. The world was taken by storm by this man's wonder and awe of a double rainbow. And we kind of look at it and we're like, oh, he's crazy. He must be high. There's something wrong with him. Like, this is nuts. Is there some sort of mental incapacitation going on with this man? Like, all of these sort of things were the responses to his response of pure wonder and awe. He was actually interviewed over and over on the news. Like, news outlets interviewed him and asked him about this experience. And his whole response was, I was just taken aback by the wonder of these rainbows. I often question how often the disciples lost their sense of wonder when it came to Jesus. Like these things, like these double rainbows, these triple rainbows, the things that we get to experience and see, they're actually really beautiful. And when they come out, I I still find myself stepping out onto the deck of, of our condo when I see the rainbows in the sky and I'm like, Elliot, because I want to see her response to the wonder. For me, I'm just like, oh, there it is. She will get a kick out of this. But the sensitivity to wonder in my own life has been gone. But for her, it's still there. And I wonder oftentimes how how often the disciples felt this way. How often the disciples had lost that sense of wonder, the ones who walked with Jesus day in and day out, who actually got to experience the miracles and the wonder that surrounded them, like, like when he healed the man with leprosy or he was able to make the, uh, the, the man that was lame walk again. Or the woman that was just perpetually bleeding, all of a sudden he healed her. Or when he raised the dead, when he raised Jairus, or Jairus' daughter, or when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Or he healed large crowds of people from disease. Or he extracted demons from bodies of people. After witnessing all of these miracles themselves, Jesus oftentimes wondered to themselves, Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Who is this man? And they didn't just keep it to themselves. They actually asked this question openly to each other, to one another. They would have these conversations about, who on earth is this Jesus? And this is perhaps why I love the Apostle Thomas so much. Why he's one of my heroes. In John chapter 20, Jesus had just raised from the dead. And he had appeared to all of the disciples, all of them, except for Thomas. And, and now, we don't really know where Thomas was when Jesus appeared in the upper room. This is shortly after Mary Magdalene had run back into the upper room and said, I have seen the Lord. She's like freaking out, and they're like, yeah, 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 that's great, whatever, whatever. And then Jesus appears to them, and they're like, whoa, you really did. Like, holy cow, this is amazing, Right? Well, Thomas wasn't there. And we don't really know where he was. The, the, the scriptures don't tell us where he was. He, he could have been out on a walk. He could have been on a beer run. Like He could have been anywhere doing anything that he wanted to do at that time. We just know that he wasn't there. And when he shows up, when he shows up back in this place, the disciples, the rest of his friends, like his closest friends, the, the, the men and women that had been with him through thick and thin, through everything that Jesus had ever experienced, they'd all grown together. They had this experience that no one else had. They look at him and they're like, dude, sit down for this. You gotta sit down. And you know, Thomas, is like, he sets down the 24-pack. He's like, all right. He, he sits down and they're like, Jesus, was just here. And you could just imagine Thomas being like, what? Are you? Shut up. Give me a break. I'm like, no, 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 no. He was just here. Yeah, great, he was in your heart, whatever. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jesus has risen from the dead. You remember Jairus' daughter? You remember Lazarus? Well, he just did that. And he was back here, standing there. And Thomas is like, come on, guys, this isn't funny. Like, we're supposed to be friends here. And, like, you're trying to make me feel like the fool, right? Like, you're trying to make me feel like an absolute idiot in this place, in this space, in this room. Not funny, guys. Like, no, 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 Thomas, we're not kidding. And you can just imagine that it erupts into some sort of fight, some sort of argument, and Thomas storms out of the room. Right? Like, you can just imagine Thomas being like, I'm done with you guys. Like, this is ridiculous. I've just experienced the worst grief of my life, the worst pain of my life. I thought that we were going to follow this Jesus till the end of the earth, to the end of the world, until everything happened. And now he is gone, and you're trying to tell me that he's back like I'm some idiot, like I'm some fool? You guys, this is cruel. I'm done with you. And you can just imagine Thomas storming out of the room, walking away. And this is where Thomas gets the nickname, Doubting Thomas, because he doubts the resurrection. And here's the thing. For, for the longest time, this title, this Doubting Thomas title has been used as some sort of like, badge of shame. It's like the scarlet letter. It's been used to ascribe shame or 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 uh, or 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 pain or grief onto those people that have doubts. Like, oh, such a doubting Thomas. You're ridiculous. How can you doubt that? You're ridiculous. But here's the thing about faith. Faith is not certainty. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, faith is built up trust in someone or something. Faith is a built up trust. It's not something, it's it's something that grows over time, not something that you just automatically attain. It's not this thing that just, oh, (laughs) like a light bulb goes on. It's like, oh, of course, yes. All of those things are true. Oh, I just believe it all. Like, it's not something that just flips a switch. I, I like how the Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel puts it. He says, Faith is not the clinging to a shrine. There it is. But an endless pilgrimage of the heart. Faith is not the clinging to a shrine, but an endless pilgrimage of the heart. Faith is a journey. Or or like how Paul Tillich, the, the theologian Paul Tillich once said, he said, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. Doubt is an element of wonder. It's this moment where you find yourself responding, I can't believe what I'm seeing yet it's right in front of you, and yet you still find yourself doubting it. I can't believe that this is happening. Whether good or bad, doubt is an element of wonder, and I would submit that the opposite of faith is certainty. That the opposite of wonder is certainty. For in certainty, there is no room left for faith. In certainty, faith ceases to exist. In certainty, faith is unnecessary and in certainty there is no wonder. For one week, Thomas sat in his doubt. And for one week, he sat in it. He wrestled with that doubt. He struggled just like we do. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is that really, even truly possible physically, scientifically? That's just crazy talk. Or are my friends just being jerks playing out this bad and inappropriate joke on me for the whole week? Am I the butt of their joke so that they can get over the pain and the suffering and the grief that we have all experienced? Now, we may think that a week, this week that Thomas went through, isn't really the longest time in the world. That a week is just, that's actually a really short amount of time. Now, some of us have been wrestling with certain doubts and questions for way longer than a week. It's been months, or quarters, or half a year, or a year, or five years, or ten years. But the thing that I want you to hear is that is this, the Bible is so full of these beautiful and amazing reference points that point us back to these poignant stories. So the Bible is full of like this this timeline that that, that something else has happened early on, something that helps to give clarity to what the author is describing in that moment. It's, It's a principle of interpretation called the principle of first mention, right? It's pretty simple. It's the principle of first mention, which just means you go back to where the first time that that was ever mentioned in the Bible. Super difficult terminology, right? Yeah, principle of first mention. So this this idea of a week or seven days, when was the first time that that was mentioned in Scripture? Seven days? Genesis 1, maybe? The creation of the world? this image of light bursting forth, this image of order being brought to chaos, of flowers blooming, of trees sprouting up, of birds singing, of life bursting forth. It's as if John is trying to say, Thomas Thomas had this doubt that was eating away at him, that was crushing his soul, but in that doubt, God is creating something new. God is birthing something new in him. And in Jesus' resurrection, a new day was dawning for all of us. You see, John wasn't telling this story. John wasn't dubbing Thomas, doubting Thomas to give him this badge of shame, this eternal black eye. John was saying that God actually invites us into these doubts. God uses our doubts to create something new in us, something beautiful, something amazing, something that is good. Wonder. Wonder. I, I love this painting by the Italian painter Caravaggio. It's entitled "The Incredulity." Of St. Thomas. Because a week after Jesus appeared to every single one of the disciples, he appeared to Jesus. He showed up. Jesus appeared to Thomas, and I love, I absolutely love Thomas's face in this painting. Right there, in the middle. That's his face. It's a face of incredulity, the inability, the inability to believe what is right in front of him. You can see that his brow is furrowed and wrinkled. It's, it's this face of someone that is worn out who has been wrestling with heavy doubt. It's kind of dark and dirty and just kind of, you can see the pain painted into the face. But also this pain of like, say what? But my favorite part, my favorite part of this painting is Jesus' hand is holding Thomas' hand as he pulls it towards his pierced side. And he's just holding it there. He's holding it there. It's as if Jesus is saying to Thomas, touch me. Thomas, come into this come closer, investigate me, search me, know me. And that's exactly what he says to us too. In the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our questions, God, are you really there? Come closer, come into this. But God, do you you really care? Come closer. Come into this. Is this whole thing, this resurrection, this Jesus thing, this life that we're supposed to be living, this Bible, is this all just made up? Is this just fairy tales and fantasies and stories? Come closer. Come into this. Is life just this meaningless set of circumstances, of random coincidences? Come closer. Closer. Come into this. Jesus doesn't want us to simply sit in our doubts and let them fester. He calls us to step into our doubts, to in the words of C.S. Lewis, to come, but to go further up and further into the mystery that is Christ, to press in. To the doubt, to journey into our doubts and find that He is right here by our side, holding our hand, calling us, come closer. Come into this. We don't find certainty in this journey of doubt. We find faith. And in faith, we find the wonder, a greater trust in Jesus. As we draw nearer, nearer, nearer to our precious Lord. If you can't tell, I really do love the wisdom of Abraham Joshua Heschel (laughs) a lot. He's played a really big part in my journey, which is why I appreciate and love him so much. He once wrote Awareness of God does not come by degrees from timidity to intellectual temerity, it is not a decision reached at the crossroads of doubt. It comes when, drifting in the wilderness, having gone astray, we suddenly behold the immutable polar star. Out of endless anxiety, out of denial and despair, the soul bursts out in speechless crying. If you find yourself overwhelmed by the journey of doubt, if you find yourself stranded on a roadside, tired and exhausted, if you simply want to give up, if you're simply going through hell, keep going. But here's the thing. This is so important. You don't have to do this alone. You are part of an amazing community here, a a new community here that uh, that is journeying through this journey of doubt, of question, of wonder, just like you. If you find yourself overwhelmed by the journey of doubt, you're not alone. If you find yourself stranded on a roadside, tired and exhausted, you have a community here to pick you up. If you simply want to give up, you have friends who can help carry you if you're going through hell. Keep going. Together. Did you notice in Caravaggio's painting? He wasn't alone. He had his friends right next to him. Standing over his shoulder, right by his side. And Thomas, when his finger was thrust into the side of Jesus, his soul burst out from the depths and he exclaimed, my Lord and my God. I can't believe what is right here in front of me. Just before this, when all of this started, he said, I won't believe a thing unless I can put my hand in his side or in his hands, which were pierced by the nails, unless I can touch him, I won't believe what you're telling me. And here he is, the face of incredulity, as he, as he has his hands thrust into the side of Jesus. And his friends are right there. Because this journey of doubt was never meant to be done by yourself, this journey of wonder was never meant to be kept to yourself. The journey is a team sport lived out in patience with one another as you press into Jesus who continually calls. Come closer. Come into this. Thomas Merton, in his book, The, M- the New Man, wrote, In the old days on Easter night... The Russian peasants used to carry the blessed fire home from church. They had these candles set up at the altar, and they would, they would each light a candle, and they would take it out from the cathedral at night into their homes. The light would scatter and travel in all directions through the darkness, and the desolation of the night would be pierced and dispelled as lamps came on in the windows of farmhouses one by one. Even so, the glory of God sleeps everywhere, ready to blaze out unexpectedly in created things. Even so, his peace and his order lie hidden in the world, even the world of today, ready to reestablish themselves in his way, in his own good time, but never without the instrumentality of free options made by free people. David Bosch was a missionary in South Africa, a a missiologist, and he once wrote that, that our role as a people of God is to demonstrate and proclaim the rule and reign of Christ here in this place, in our space, in our time. To demonstrate the wonder that is God and how we live and how we act. To proclaim the wonder of God in how we live, how we act, and with our voices as we raise high and shout loud and proclaim and demonstrate this wondrous God, this rule and this reign of Christ here in this place, in this space, in this time. That that is what we as a church are to do that is who we as a church are to be. Wendell Berry wrote this beautiful poem. He said, It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And when we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. Those last two lines. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. If we're not finding ourselves baffled or confused or doubting or wondering about who this Jesus is, about who this God is, our mind is not employed. If we're not somehow impeded in our love and our joy and our service of God around us, then... Are we really creating a noise? Are we really singing? Because the impeded stream is the one that sings. So let us sing. Let us sing. Let us proclaim and demonstrate the beautiful and indescribable love of Christ, the rule and the reign of Christ here in our midst, in our city, in our world. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning wondering how to recapture the wonder. To experience you as Thomas experienced you. To find ourselves confused and caught up in the moment and in the space. Father, this morning, this afternoon, this day, Baffle our minds with who you are. Let us sit in the beauty and the wonder of you as we hear you over and over and over again bid us come. Come into this. Come closer. Father, it's in your Son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.